thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. It's good to be here with you. Uh, Jason has really given me the honor of kicking off this series. Uh, I will share this week and uh, be back with you next week, unless I do get ushered out again. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to being here. This, this series that we're kicking off in the book of Colossians is, uh, as you saw, entitled, Jesus is Awesome. Now, the, the, the thing is that this word, awesome, just sort of gets thrown around for everything. In fact, this little song kind of sums that up, and here's a little clip for you. Jump the charts again, it's everything is awesome. Oh my gosh, I love this song. Everything is awesome. If you know it, you can sing. Don't be ashamed. Always use a turn signal. Park between the lines. Yes. Drop off dry cleaning before noon. Read the headlines. Don't forget to smile. Always root for the local sports team. Always return a compliment. Hey, you look nice. So do you. Drink overpriced coffee. There you go. That's $37. Awesome. Everything is awesome. Always drink overpriced coffee. I just love the look on his face. It's like, awesome. But it's not awesome. Let's admit it. Not everything is awesome. In fact, we say awesome about things that have nothing to do with awesome. Because we've sort of lost what awesome really means. Awesome means this, to inspire awe, to inspire awe. And what is awe? Well, here's the definition. Awe is an emotion variously combining dread, veneration, and wonder that is inspired by authority, by the sacred, or by the sublime. It is the rapt attention and deep emotion caused by the sight of something truly extraordinary. Now, I wonder how many truly awesome things we have actually encountered in life. But I tell you one thing, Jesus is awesome. Jesus, when you discover the reality, will leave you with this open mouth, wide-eyed, like, oh my goodness, like that is awesome. Like I, I hear people refer to all sorts of things like, Like donuts. 
I have news for you. Donuts are not awesome. <laughs> or coffee. That really isn't awesome. <laughs> now, no, you, no, no insult intended. But it's not awesome. Donuts and, and coffee are, they're pretty great. Let's admit it, we, we like them. Does something. It's why we come to church. Like, they're good, but they are not awesome. In fact, very little that we truly encounter should be expressed as awesome. But on the other hand, Jesus is awesome. Jesus absolutely brings out this rapt, attention and deep emotion because Jesus is actually something completely extraordinary. The revelation of Jesus absolutely transformed my life some 32 years ago, and I am still in awe of that Jesus. Jesus is awesome. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And I hope today that we will grab a hold of this reality. I hope for some here that this will move you to a new place in life. Because I don't think we all really get this. And there are some lies that we believe that I hopefully will, will lay bare and that you will grab a hold of the reality of Jesus Christ. Paul, the writer of this letter to a church in an area called Colossae, got this point, and it became the passion of his life to share it. The first 14 or so verses of this letter are really this sort of introduction and a reminder to the people of Colossae of who they are and what God has done. And I'm not going to read it all, but you come to the end of it and Paul makes this, this great declaration of what God has done. He says in verse 12, we're always thanking the Father, for He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. Now, I'm reading from what's called the New Living Translation, uh, and whether you're familiar with it or not, it's a little bit different from the one that's in the back of the chairs there, but I'm also going to use that version in a little bit. But Paul makes this reminder to them, 
And he says this, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And Paul, referencing what the father did in his son, then jumps in to what we have there as verse 15. And it says this, are you ready for it? This is where we hit awesome. Verse 15 starts out like this. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Did you hear me? You can see what God is like. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is therefore the fullness of God revealed. That's awesome. Like that is way beyond coffee and donuts awesome. That is legitimately open mouth, are you kidding me, awesome. That God so wants us to know him that he reveals himself in his son. Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. He is the unveiled image of the veiled God. He is the revealed image of the hidden God, the unobscured view of a God who has seemed obscured for generations. When I get that, what that tells me is this, that God wants us to discover Him. If God reveals Himself, He wants you to see Him. If God makes that declaration of Himself, He wants you to know Him. And if He is this clear about it, He wants you to relate to Him. This is where you get awesome. The problem is this, that when things are veiled or obscured, they can be misinterpreted. Let me put it like this. You, you have this image, and you think you can tell what, what's going on. And, and you see this image that all of a sudden, hand is out and fingers shaking, and, and all of a sudden you're like, what's he angry about? But you don't know that there's actually something just stuck on my finger, and I'm trying everything to get that thing off there. Or you you have this image of this hand up and this, and you're wondering, what is he, what's he so angry about? But you don't realize that I'm actually shaking a drink, preparing for you to be refreshed. You see these hands out and they're moving and, and you get this sense of, What's he doing? Is that this grand puppeteer? Is he just marionettes or is he actually 
a conductor, working in this composition of beautiful song and music and melody. You see, what happens is this, this view of God is obscured, and we think we know what it's about, and God can no longer put up with it, and He no longer can stand that people are in trying to interpret Him from a distance. And so He enters into humanity in Jesus. That is awesome. You see, God's not content for us to somehow believe that He's just this angry, distant, powerful deity that is to be feared and and cowered from and stood at a distance from. He is not the grand puppeteer who is just managing people's lives. He is that composer that invites you into the melody of creation and the ages to join in this song. But yet, we miss it. People stand off and hide away. It's easy to misinterpret and end up believing something wrong because somewhere along the line a perception was born or a lie was believed. You see, misinterpretations can actually end up alienating us. You miss that maybe God is is preparing this drink of refreshment and cocktail or mocktail, your choice. But instead, we just think He's shaking some angry fist at us. Let me take you back to the beginning of things for a few minutes. And I'm going to ask you to lean into this, to, to... Hold on, because there is some truth here that I think will change the way you believe. If not change it, gosh, it should enrich it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the second part of it through verse 17, Paul continues to write about Jesus after this revelation of the visible image of the invisible God. He says this, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. This, this is Jesus. He was instrumental in and fully present in creation. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, And you read about this this God who created. In verse 1, the heavens and the earth, and then the light. You see this God. If you grab your, in fact, reach in front of you and grab one of these Bibles, because I want you to see this. 
or use your electronic one, but don't check Facebook while you're there. I want you to get this. All through chapter 1, you see this word God. God is creating, and He is a God of incredible power. In fact, Paul is the one that says He is supreme over everything. He is a God of power. He is a God of position. He is a God of authority. And there's such, like if you can picture what is happening, mountains and seas and planets and stars, there is this chaos and this energy and this power that is fearful. And Jesus is right there in the midst of it. And this word God is this word Elohim. It's a Hebrew word and it is the name of God that is, that is power, it is supremacy, it is authority. And Jesus embodies all of it. But when you go on into Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, and through 20 it says this, God in all His fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. Listen to these words. God, in Jesus, made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. God makes peace through His Son by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is instrumental he is the initiator, the pursuer, the provider, the reconciler, the restorer. And when you look at Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and everywhere else that God is engaging with humanity, you see something else. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2 the God of authority, the Elohim, the power, the position, the authority has created and has been declared in that supremacy. But you come to what's described under this little subtopic as the Garden of Eden and the creation of man and woman. And you begin to see this, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God. The word Lord there is the name of God Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the name of God that was introduced to Moses when he said, I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And this, he says, is the name that I want to be known by forever. And it is everywhere that God is in relationship with humanity, with people in His creation of space for humanity, you see these words, the Lord God. That is Jehovah Elohim. That is the God of relationship, authority, supremacy. But what is really interesting, all the way through there, verse 7, the Lord God, the relational God, formed man. Verse 8, the Lord God planted this garden. It is the Lord God, verse 15, who took the man, puts him in the garden. 
It's the Lord God who commands, eat of every tree of the garden. It is the Lord God who says, don't touch that one. The relational God who cares about the engagement with humanity. He is not just this distant God of authority. It is the Lord God that sits with Adam. It's the Lord God who listens to him name creatures. It's this beautiful image of this intimacy of Jehovah Elohim. And this is the fullness that you see. Man, God says he wants this name. In Exodus chapter 3, he wants people to know him by this name and this revelation forever. And I'm, and I'm not trying to be rude, but it was never meant to be the unutterable name of God. It, it wasn't. It, it was declared by God to Moses, this is the name that I want to be known by. It's an invitation to relationship in that name. And it's important to understand that Jehovah God, the eternally relationship God, wants you to know Him. Jesus, the revelation of God, the visible revelation of the invisible God, is awesome. God's existence, His power, His purpose, it's not shaped or influenced by anyone or anything, and it will never change because of any misconception or lie. It remains steadfast. But there is, an, there is a lie that is introduced. And let me take you there. If you have this Bible open, and I encourage you to grab one if you haven't, I want you to see this. In chapter 3, Verse 1, it says this, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Look, the Lord God, the relational, the Jehovah Elohim, He created for relationship. And the serpent said to the woman, Has God indeed said? Do you notice anything there? What does Lucifer do? This is the lie that is introduced right at the outset, and we miss it. You know what Lucifer does? He drops the Jehovah part. The first thing he does is bring into question to Eve the relationship. You see, Lucifer can't deny God. Romans said in everything he's created, God has declared himself. But what Lucifer does is he will refer to him as the Elohim, the supreme, the power, the authority, the, the creator. But he will not refer to him as Jehovah, the relator. And so he says to Eve, did Elohim really say this? He calls into question his authority, but he strips away the relationship. 
And you see that all through that conversation, wherever Lucifer speaks of him, he only refers to him as God. And that is the lie that so much of this world continues to live in. That God is just that distant authority, that absentee God who sits enthroned in power that is to be cowered from, that is to be resisted, that is to be somehow served and appeased. That he's just the big guy upstairs. No, he's so much more. In Jesus, he is the full revelation of the relational God who has made peace with mankind through the blood of his Son. You see, this lie has become so deep that it runs through all of the world religions if you ever care to look at them. That God's not relational. He just needs appeasing. You can look at Buddhism, and it's all about doing right, believing right, working right, doing everything right, so that somehow when you've completed the eight steps or the, to enlightenment, you, you enter into this, this consciousness. And Hinduism, so similarly, is just this sense of karma that you, you have to do enough good to outweigh the bad, that somehow you will appease this cycle of life and destruction and one day become a part of that enlightenment. And Islam is these five pillars that you must do right, that you can somehow appease God, Allah. And even legalistic Judaism is just this series of somehow if you can complete them all, you will appease, you will be declared righteous. And sadly, even our Christian faith sometimes is reduced to this life of goodness. We miss Jesus. You see, the idea of attaining is to succeed in achieving righteousness or reconciliation. But Jesus came to reveal and give us righteousness and reconciliation. And the question I have is this, how long are we going to believe the lie that was introduced to us in the garden? That God is this God of power and authority and position to be feared and you need to cower from him until you are righteous enough to present yourself to him. Are you trying to attain righteousness? You're trying with everything in you to be good enough? Or are you willing to stop it and receive righteousness, to be declared righteous by the only one who can declare you righteous because he paid for our sin in his own blood. People stand at a distance still and go, oh, no, I know myself, I know my story, I know my shortcomings, I know my failings, surely I have to work off something and God just is like, 
I've offered you peace. I've offered you reconciliation. I've offered you restoration. The truth is we don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. 32 years ago, I did not deserve it. Today, I don't deserve it anymore, but I have learned that His grace is sufficient for every need that I will ever have, for every shortcoming, shortfall, failure. He still meets me in the restoration of His Son and in peace. This is still His invitation to us. Lucifer Satan, the devil, whatever name we refer to him by, still loves to parade the lie that you need to cower. You see, when you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened. Adam and Eve knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. Now listen, in verse 8, they heard the sound of, look at it, who comes walking through the garden? The Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. The God of relationship comes looking for them in the cool of the day and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And then, verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam and says, Where are you? The relational God calls out to him by name. Where are you? And they said, oh, we heard your voice. And we were afraid and we hid ourselves. They had bought the lie that God was no longer interested in the relationship that they had failed and so they cowered and they hid from the, the authority, the supremacy, the power of the Elohim and forgot the Jehovah. The offer of reconciliation and the gift is for us. It's for you. It's for me. Go back to Colossians chapter 1, if you would. In the second half of verse 20 and then verse 21 and on, it says this, Through him, Jesus God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. By the means of Christ's blood on the cross, this includes you. <laughs> this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, and as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do you hear that? Jesus is awesome. 
Jesus is the one who makes the way for us to be reconciled, at peace, restored, reconciled, seen, free of sin, without blame. That is the wide-eyed, open-mouthed, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, that's how serious God is, and that's how serious his invitation is. So what do I do about it? Here it is. This is your part. You ready? This is your part. You're like, ah, I knew there was a catch. No, it's really not a catch. It goes on. Verse 23, Colossians chapter 1, and you can underline these. Even if you're reading the church Bible, underline it. (laughs) Someone will read it later and go, ah, that was good. This is your part. But you must continue to believe this truth. What do you need to do? Believe it. The work is done. God has made peace with everything in creation. In Christ's blood, you can stand before him with no fault, completely forgiven. And Paul says, but you, you better believe it. Because unless we believe it, we don't engage with it, we don't embrace it, and there is no reconciliation. But if you believe it, you enter into it. You defeat that lie of the enemy. And you, are, you have that revelation in Christ of Jehovah, God, the, the Lord of relationship. You've got to believe it. And you've got to stand firmly on it, he says. You've got to believe it and you've got to stand your ground on it. What Paul also talks about is he says, he says in Ephesians uh, that, that we got to stand our ground with what? The shield of faith, because the shield of faith does what? Extinguishes the lies of the enemy. And when you fall short, if you fall short, the enemy loves to go, you've blown it now. But when you stand on this truth of the awesomeness of Christ, you are not shaken by those lies of the enemy. You go, nuts. Nope. He is still Jehovah God to me. He is still the Lord God to me. He is still the God of relationship to me. Man, that's, we, we believe it. We stand on it. And then it says this, and don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard this good news. You believe it, you stand on it, and you anchor yourself to it. You tie yourself off to this truth that you're never going to drift away. You're never going to somehow believe that you have to earn it now. Yeah, you entered into it free, but now it's your effort. No, it is always the work of Christ within us. Man, this is awesome news. Are you getting a hold of anything? This is awesome. This is beautiful. And then what Paul says here at the end of verse 23 he says, and this good news is being preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. And I, Tim, 
I, I get to do this in Australia. I get to come and be a herald of that good news here in your presence because this good news continues to be awesome in this earth and release people from captivity and darkness into light and liberty. It's good news. Do you see it as awesome? And Jesus is what? Awesome. When we really get the awesomeness of Christ and all that it means to your life, all that it entails, you genuinely won't be able to contain it. It will overflow. It will become a part of your conversation. It will be this declaration of your life and the way you live. But it's got to grab you. <laughs> you know, let me tell you a story. Here's, here's a picture of a, a little girl. Her name is Florence. She's a, she's a daughter of a good friend of mine, and mate, this little girl is a firecracker. If there is something happening in the house, if there is chaos, if there is sisters crying, you can usually go, Florence. Man, she is the most impish, cheekiest, wonderful little girl. And Florence doesn't like to sleep a whole lot. <laughs> and my friend Shane came to me, it was Thursday, the day before I left to fly out here. He said, man, I've got to, to tell you something. I'm like, what? He goes, Florence. And I'm like, I'm like oh, no, what? <laughs> He's like, no. Man, these people. These people dropped this flyer off at our home and had this picture of Jesus and, and children. And, and inside was the story of what Jesus was doing, that he was creating a place that he would return and get us and take us to. It was from Isaiah that there'd be no more tears and crying and suffering, that God was going to make all things new. And Florence was in bed and Shane's there trying to get her to rest and settle down. And little Florence goes, hey, Dad, can you go and get that, that paper with the picture of Jesus and read it to me? And Shane's like, yeah, I can do that. And he goes and gets it. And he said he comes back to bed and he starts to read it. He says, Florence, what this says is Jesus Jesus is preparing a place for us. That he's going to come and he is going to take us to be with him in heaven. And there'll be no more crying and no more sadness and no more suffering and no more death. And little Florence, her eyes just get enormous and she jumped out of bed and she stands there, bends over, looks at her dad and goes, Are you serious? And Shane just said he realized in that moment that little Florence had taken this on board, that there was something big happening. 
And Shane's like, yes, sweetheart, that, that's serious. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going to come back. And Florence just goes, i got to tell my sisters. And she goes tearing out of the room, barges through the door into Araminta and, and Holiday's room, and she just shouts out, girls, and they're asleep. <laughs> girls. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us to a place where there's no more crying and there's no more dying and there's no more whinging. And what else, Dad? And Shane's just lying there listening to this. And he says, oh, there's, there's no more suffering and there's no more pain. And she's like, yeah. And then she comes running back into Shane and then she goes, she knows she's not allowed out of bed. And Lauren has actually sent Shane down to make sure Florence stays in bed. But Florence goes, i got to go tell mum. She just goes tearing up the hall to the front of the house, barges through. I can only imagine what Lauren is thinking, hearing her coming. But she says, mum. And tells her this whole account. And this little girl got what awesome was. And you cannot, when you are captivated by awesome, you cannot help but tell someone about it. Man, we believe it, we stand on it, we anchor ourselves to it, and we declare it. This is awesome. You can't hide it away. It's got to come out. So the question is this, are you... Are you ready to grab a hold of the awesome? Are you willing to step out and embrace this gift of reconciliation, this gift of restoration, this gift of righteousness that God comes to you and says, let's, let's make peace. Don't hide from me. You see, it is the Lord God who in Genesis 3 takes the skin of an animal and clothes Adam and Eve. Read it. It's not God just Elohim. It's not just God the power, the supremacy, or the authority. It is the relationship God who clothes them. And he continues to offer to clothe us in His righteousness. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.